Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. BC keeps a close watch on COVID mutations. There's not anything that would be worrisome about the vaccine being effective. New infection numbers here and how hospitals are able to keep up. COVID relief delayed. This was supposed to help people out through uh, Christmas and you know not be a hassle. This is just contributing to it. Why many people say the application process is flawed. And a winter whiteout brings the return of the slush bombs. Came down, hit on the top and on the side here. The Coquihalla closed and ferry cancellations pile up due to bad weather. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. BC's COVID-19 curve appears to be leveling off, but BC's provincial health officer says it's still too high. And here's a look at why. We have three reporting periods since Friday. That gives us 1,667 new cases. BC's total is now 47,067. Sadly, we have lost 41 more lives, which means 765 people have now died in B.C. from complications of the virus. 341 people are in hospital, 80 of them in the ICU. 35,455 people are considered recovered, and we are now left with 9,718 active cases. Let's bring in Keith Baldry for more. Keith, Ontario is going into a province-wide shutdown mm -hmm. on Boxing Day. Let's take a look at how we stack up compared to Ontario and another area of the country facing some pretty serious concerns. Particularly because those three days, as you mentioned, Sophie, the best three days we've had for some time, our hospitalizations are down significantly, ICU cases down significantly. But look, take a look at what's going on in Ontario and Alberta and us. On a per capita basis, based on 100,000 people, uh, Ontario has by far the highest mortality rate of our three provinces. Alberta significantly higher than us as well. Even though we've put up a number of uh, troubling numbers when it comes to fatalities, our per capita uh, record there is fairly positive compared to the rest of the, the the country. Now, in hospitalizations, it's a slightly different story. The hospitalization rate, again, on a per capita basis, shows Alberta right now is in a very serious situation. Their hospitalizations are skyrocketing. We're basically a little ahead of Ontario going into the weekend. Their numbers are starting to increase, though. And one of the big reasons is that uh, in terms of hospitalizations, Ontario has seen a big increase in the last month in terms of 83% uh, increase in ICU, 69% in hospitalizations. That's why the lockdown's in place, because because the modeling there is huge. The ICUs could be overwhelmed in Ontario very quickly. Adrian Dix today, the health minister, putting the, the perspective on BC's numbers and just how we compare to Ontario. Our, we're doing much better in bed utilization and ICU beds. There's a lot more room here than there is in Ontario. With respect to um, our uh, overall uh, capacity, we, we are at about 84.8% of our regular base beds filled right now in our acute care hospitals. That's dramatically low below the usual level of occupancy at this time of year. Um, the overall beds are about 66.6% .6 or two-thirds. 
of uh, beds when you count the surge beds we've added. In critical care, those numbers are 72% of our base critical care beds and just under 50%, 49.8% of our critical care beds when you include the surge beds that we have added. So a lot of numbers there, obviously, but the bottom line is, folks, that we're in nowhere near the situation Ontario finds itself in, which is why a complete lockdown here remains very unlikely, but things can always change. And again, the numbers that Mr. Dix quoted have been consistent for some time. Before the pandemic, we were actually at about 105% capacity in our hospitals. That was the days of hallway medicine. That's not happening anymore. So again, we're in much better shape right now, even though our hospitalization rate is roughly the same as Ontario. At least there's that. All right, thanks, mm -hmm. Keith. Well, Canada is now on a growing list of countries banning travel to and from the UK after a surge in cases of a new strain of COVID-19. The new strain seems to have a much higher rate of transmission. The flight ban has impacted a number of passengers due to fly in and out of YVR. Richard Zussman has the latest. The United Kingdom on high alert. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control. The morphing COVID-19 virus spreading through the UK, this variant more infectious than what we have seen before. Worry enough for Ottawa to ban all flights coming to Vancouver and across the country from the UK. So far, no cases of the new variant here. We went back and looked through all of the uh, virus sequences we have here in BC, and we do not have the strain that uh, is seen in the UK, but clearly we need to be on the lookout for it. And although there has been no cases yet of this variant in British Columbia, health officials are still concerned it could come. And the question everyone has is, will the vaccine be able to protect people against it? It's still being able to be picked up by our testing because the testing looks for different parts of the, of the RNA of the virus. And so far, it looks like vaccine is okay too. But some experts say it could be too late to keep the variant out. A reminder, anyone here who has arrived from the UK over the past 14 days should currently be isolating. We were obviously pleased to see the action taken by the federal government yesterday. It was absolutely the right action. And, uh, and uh, we'll see. They're going to obviously keep reviewing that decision. And it's very possible that those restrictions could continue. Infectious disease experts say it's not surprising the virus has mutated, but it's still worrisome. If we... Uh, have that uh, mutated strain coming to Canada or BC, whether or not we have uh, enough um, healthcare infrastructure if uh, these mutated strain cause patients to become infected and, and hospitalized. And a reminder that even though the vaccine is slowly being distributed in BC, it's no time to relax in the fight against the virus. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The B.C. government is both making it easier to apply and providing more funding to the Pandemic Recovery Grant Program. Under the new rules, small and medium-sized businesses are now eligible for the grant if their revenue has fallen by 30% instead of the previous 50%. Businesses in the hard-hit tourism sectors are now eligible to receive an extra $15,000, money that comes on top of the $30,000 grant limit for other businesses. We are learning and we will continue to be nimble in our response. For those businesses that are interested in applying, the new criteria and application process is now in place. You can access the application other important programs from the website bcbusinessrecoverygrant.com. 
For those of you who have already applied, you do not need to resubmit your application. It will be reviewed under the new program criteria. The government is also promising more relief for the restaurant and hospitality sector. The details of that program will be revealed tomorrow. Meantime, if you were hoping to receive some extra cash before Christmas, many are finding the process to claim B.C.'s recovery benefit a frustrating experience. Grace Key has more on the struggles some applicants are facing and how the government is making them work for the tax-free dollars. Okay, let's dig them out. Okay, there's a... um BC Gas Fortress bill. 67-year-old Robert Bates applied for the BC Recovery Benefit. He thought it would be fairly straightforward until he opened up an email asking for additional documentation. Yesterday I came home, I dropped some presents off from my previous friends where I lived. And I was in really a great mood and then I see this email and it just made me... Robert must send a copy of a valid ID, most recent notice of assessment, and two bills or bank statements with December 18 in the date range. Yeah, okay, but... uh... This is all I've got, eh? Because, uh, okay, it's got the seventh right there. I marked it. Okay, but it's. But says... that's as close as I can come. i got to wait for more bills in or else print out. Robert also doesn't have a copy of his notice of assessment. And it's very inconvenient for somebody that's not really totally computer literate to have to send all this stuff to the government. So far, more than 394,000 applications have been fully processed, and these funds should appear in accounts within a few days. More than $282 million should be dispersed this week. The Ministry of Finance stating, in certain circumstances, additional information is required before an application can be completed. That is why some applicants have received follow-up correspondence. Work is being done to get benefits to people as quickly as possible. It could take more than 30 days to process the supporting documentation. This was supposed to help people out through uh, Christmas and you know not be a hassle. This is just contributing to it the way they're doing it. Robert says it took him eight hours to process his application because the system kept crashing. He's not looking forward to a long wait on the phone. He's planning on tackling this after the holidays. Grace Key, Global News. Well, the first winter storm of the season started hammering southern B.C. this morning. Aaron MacArthur is live at the Tawasson Ferry Terminal. And Aaron, the first day of winter came in with a mighty blast, really depending on where people live. Yeah, certainly. I mean, no snow here and incredible amounts of snow up on the Coquihalla. Not the worst winter storm we've seen in British Columbia, but certainly a wake-up call. And from the island right into the southern interior, it was an intense day. At 6 a.m., it was rain. By mid-morning... It was snow, and by mid-afternoon, it was a mess. Vancouver Island roads made hard to navigate by accumulation and ill-prepared drivers. Heavy, wet snow downed power lines. BC Hydro says more than 70,000 people are spending the first day of winter in the dark. And most of these customers are on Vancouver Island, but we are expecting more outages as the storm uh, hits more parts of the lower mainland. Across Metro Vancouver, the snow was patchy, south of the Fraser with the largest accumulations. Well, I was coming up the hill, it was a sheet of ice. The Portman Bridge crews seemingly caught completely off guard by the snowstorm. Came down, hit on the top and on the side here. Ice bombs falling from the suspension cables, damaging several cars. It just, uh, it was just a huge boom. It scared uh, out of me and uh, the, the windshield wipers were gone, and I noticed the whole front windshield was all smashed up. 
The snow fell heaviest across the upper Fraser Valley and onto the Coquihalla. Highway 5 shut between Merritt and Hope for the afternoon because of abysmal driving conditions. Cars littered the side of the road. Tow trucks busy. Yeah, the conditions are uh, underneath are quite icy. Uh, we've got about two and a half feet of snow over the last, I'd say, five and a bit hours. Uh, it's been crazy up here. Trucks in the ditch everywhere, cars in the ditch. Travel not being recommended from Hope right through to Kamloops and across on the connector into Kelowna. The first day of winter, living up to its billing. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A few other travel notes for you. Highway 3 through Manning Park into Princeton, also closed at this hour. And BC Ferries is cancelling several sailings tonight from both Tawasson and Horseshoe Bay over to the island. If you are going anywhere, and it should be only essential travel at this point, make sure you check the websites and stay up to date as best you can. Chris, Sophie. Good, good advice. All right. Thanks very much, Aaron. We'll get a chance to warm up soon. And there is meteorologist Yvonne Shell standing by with more on what's coming next. Boy, we sure got a good hit today. Yeah, way to w welcome in our winter. Uh, we did uh, see a snow, mixed snow for many spots along the south coast, but the precipitation is actually dying down, and we're still tracking a few spots into the Fraser Valley as snow, and that'll also ease off. We can see from Aaron, though, he's in Tawasin. That's where we've got very windy conditions, and that's actually the big weather story that we're going to be following over the next few hours. So precipitation will ease off. The snowfall, especially for eastern areas, out of Tawasin right now, just at 26, but I have seen gusts in the last hour, over 40 kilometers meters per hour and the wind warning for the eastern areas of the island that stretches in towards Nanaimo, Richmond, Delta included within that. We could see a northwesterly wind sustained at 70 and gusts of up to 90 kilometers per hour over the next few hours. That'll taper off overnight. We still do have a significant amount of snow along the mountain passes. Those amounts coming up shortly. Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. BC Ferries accused of falling behind the times. Female engineers say they aren't getting the same things their male counterparts are, and it's making them uncomfortable. What's missing and why they have filed a human rights complaint in just over a minute. Come on, you better watch out. You better not cry. Michael Bublé belts it out for Canuck Place Children's Hospital with a little help from his hockey buddy. Coming up on the news hour. And charges laid in a high speed crash involving luxury vehicles on the Sea to Sky Highway that sent an innocent family to hospital. That's later. Right now, though, BC Ferries is facing a human rights complaint over claims of a lack of safe and private spaces for female engineering staff. The union says some vessels are still in the dark ages when it comes to gender equality. Rumina Dea has more on the alleged discrimination and the ferry corporation's response. Their fight for equal rights has finally come to a head. Frankly, these workers are fed up. We've been working very hard to try and reach a negotiated settlement with BC Ferries, and that has failed. A human rights complaint has now been filed on behalf of 16 women who work in engineering at BC Ferries. The female fleet alleging the workplace is unsafe, discriminatory, and humiliating because there are no proper change rooms. It is a very much a men's world in the uh, in the engineering department. It's been a long time trying to get. BC Ferries to change that. No door, no lock, no privacy. 
the female engineering crew changing where they can. A curtain better than nothing, but not appropriate, say the complainants. One of our members told me that she was interrupted by three men workers at the same time while she was changing. She was in her underpants, uh, behind control panels, behind switchboards. Uh, it's, it's really not dignified and it's often not a safe place for them to be changing. They're made to feel like interlopers in a space that they are eminently qualified to, to be in. They're engineers. Women have been in the engine room for over 30 years at BC Ferries, but they're still in the minority. Only 16 in a department approximately 500 strong. The company not prepared to answer our questions on camera, citing privacy. In a short statement, BC Ferries says, we take these matters seriously and are confident this can be addressed internally and have been working on doing so. I recall this being brought up first about 15 years ago, but it's always fallen off the side of somebody's desk and never been followed through on. The union says it's time. The company rectifies this unfair wrong. Romina Dea, Global News. There has been an outpouring of generosity for the family of a woman who was killed while saving her eight-year-old twins from a runaway van in Surrey last week. Parmjeet Masuda was walking her twin girls home from elementary school in the Sullivan Heights neighborhood when an out-of-control delivery van hit her. The mother had just enough time to push the children away before she was struck and killed. The GoFundMe, which began on Friday to help her husband and twin girls, had a goal of $50,000 and has nearly doubled that amount. Still ahead, we've got chilling dash cam video that shows the moment just before impact. It's just been a really long journey and we just want this chapter to be over with. How it's connected to the sentence for a careless driver who changed a little girl's life forever. And a custom hoist stolen from a man with physical challenges is recovered. Where they found it next. In Surrey, we have emergency crews on scene to an accident on Scott Road southbound, just south of 96th Avenue. The left lane's blocked off both directions, just causing minor delays. For 47 years, Cromac Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Cromac in your neighborhood. Visit Cromac.com. In Global One, above Scott Road, I'm Amber Felser. The driver who hit a little girl in a crosswalk, leaving her wheelchair-bound and unresponsive, will serve two years in prison. Back in January, Tanessa Nykirk was found guilty of dangerous driving causing bodily harm after court heard she'd been texting while speeding and driving erratically in the minutes just before the crash. Kylie Stanton reports. Tanessa Nykirk walks into the Victoria Courthouse three years and one day after she hit young Leila Bui in a Saanich crosswalk. This has been a really long journey and we just want this chapter be over with. The sentence handed down Monday finally brings that closure. Nykirk will serve two years in federal prison and is prohibited from driving anywhere in Canada for a period of three years thereafter. We applaud the, the judge's decision. It was very right on all levels. On December 20th, 2017, dash cam footage shows Nykirk tailgating passing cars on a narrow road, and reaching speeds of more than 100 kilometers an hour, double the limit. Records show at the same time she had sent and received 
a total of 25 text messages, all just moments before striking Bowie in the crosswalk, then 11 years old. The impact throwing her 26 meters. She suffered severe brain damage, a fractured neck, and a lacerated spleen. In January, Nykirk was convicted of dangerous driving, causing bodily harm. Her sentence undoubtedly meant to send a strong message to those who text and drive. People need to remember what an incredible responsibility it is to drive a car and the resulting carnage that can happen when you take that responsibility for granted. Nykirk's lawyer made a request to suspend her sentence until after the holidays, but the judge was quick to reject it, saying, no, I have anguished about that, I have thought about that. And there is a child who will never have Christmas. An emotional Nykirk was led away in handcuffs, leaving this family to focus on healing while holding on to hope. Layla will find her way back. One day, you know, to, just for that one day. I don't know when it'll be. We hope it's really soon. Um, but just to have her with us is, um, is the most important thing. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Charges have now been laid against the driver of a luxury SUV involved in a September crash on the Sea to Sky Highway. That crash sent six people, including two children, to hospital. It happened just after noon on September the 5th, about seven kilometers south of Whistler. RCMP see a silver Lamborghini and a black Range Rover taking part in the Diamond Hublot supercar rally collided. And the Lamborghini crossed into the oncoming lane, hitting a southbound Toyota Corolla. The driver of the Range Rover, 29-year-old Christopher Irwin of Gibsons, has now been charged with four counts of dangerous operation of a conveyance causing bodily harm. And Surrey RCMP are recommending charges against a driver involved in a deadly crash at the Peace Arch border crossing. May 2, 2019, Port Moody Pastor Tom Chung was killed when a Porsche SUV slammed into Chung's minivan in the northbound lanes of the border crossing. The impact sent both vehicles into a median and on into a garden where the van burst into flames. A man from Washington State was arrested at the scene. There is no timeline from the B.C. Prosecution Service yet on a charging decision. A disabled former fitness trainer whose dreams of getting back on the water disappeared in a devastating theft last week now has new hope just before Christmas. Mike Hamill's special custom hoist is back, albeit stripped by thieves. It was stolen from his parkade in Ladner on December 8th. Surveillance video captured the suspect's truck. The damaged hoist was later found in a Surrey alley. Hamill and his friends spent years and nearly $9,000 built Building it to allow him to get back out on the water and fish after he became a paraplegic in 2017 when his fishing boat hit a humpback whale. I think we can rebuild it and uh, yeah, I think that uh, was super exciting for me. It kind of blew me away. We didn't think we'd ever get it back. Hamill says he and his buddies are rebuilding the hoist so it'll be bigger and better and available for others to use. Still ahead, the last administration. We have uncovered a voter fraud. Donald Trump gets dangerous advice, all while ignoring America's other crises. Also tonight, it's Buble and Petey playing to the crowd at Canuck Place Children's Hospice.
Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. At the Surrey North Delta border, emergency crews are on scene to an accident on Scott Road just south of 96th Avenue. Two vehicles involved and the left lane's blocked both ways. Uh, they're getting ready to clear it, but it's still going to cause delays for the next little bit. Kermac Collision and Autoglass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and customer service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. In Global One above Scott Road, I'm Amber Belzer. Scientists in Hawaii are monitoring a new volcanic eruption at the Kilauea volcano. The volcano began erupting on Sunday night following a series of earthquakes. The eruption sent plumes of smoke into the air and lit up the night sky and contributed to a lot of lava flowing as well. Thankfully, no evacuations were needed. When Kilauea last erupted in 2018, it destroyed more than 700 homes. America is turning the final page of the calendar in one of the most tumultuous presidential terms in recent history. And in his remaining weeks, President Donald Trump is still solely focusing on his election loss, while basically ignoring the pandemic and a national security threat. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. Out of sight but ever-present, President Trump remains fixated on his election loss. We have uncovered a voter fraud, the greatest voter fraud in history. That simply isn't true. And in his bid to hold on to power, Trump is being fed dangerous advice, including from his former national security advisor and from a controversial lawyer whose own comments put her on the outs with Trump's legal team to seize voting machines or force the military to rerun elections. The outgoing attorney general, who said there was no fraud, scoffed at the idea. I see no basis now for seizing machines by the federal government. Meanwhile, pulling from his old playbook... He just said it's not Russia. I will say this, I don't see any reason why it would be. Donald Trump refuses to accept intelligence that Russia is behind a government hacking, instead believing it to be China's doing, and again diverting his attention from a pandemic that's ripping his country apart. Record-breaking cases and deaths are still a daily reality. It's really plain and simple to say this, it's extremely bad. ICU space is critical in several states, and vaccine rollout has not been smooth. The number of doses available to us to allocate ended up being lower. Still, half a million Americans have received their first doses, including President-elect Joe Biden. It's first steps, but not nearly enough to stop a virus that claims an American life every 40 seconds. During this Christmas and New Year's holidays, Wear masks, socially distance. If you don't have to travel, don't travel. And there is growing concern that after the holidays, cases could surge and ultimately collide with Biden's first few weeks in office, creating shaky ground caused by months of neglect from an outgoing administration and a president who's been solely focused on his own political future. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, today marks the first day of winter, a time when millions of people struggle with seasonal affective disorder. And this year, in the midst of a global pandemic, mental health advocates worry seasonal depression could take even more of a toll. Gabrielle Starr was diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder in her late teens. When I didn't have to go to class in, in college, I was just like in my bed. 
I wasn't working out. Like I would eat at really weird hours. Um, I wasn't sleeping well. Her symptoms of depression escalate as the season starts to change. The first like month, literally, of daylight savings time being over, my body is totally out of whack. Doctors are concerned with the pandemic already impacting mental health. Seasonal affective disorder could mean an even darker winter than usual for many. Dr. Craig Sawchuk is a clinical psychologist at Mayo Clinic. It makes it easier to forge through difficult times when you have a reliable light at the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, uh, with the pandemic, that light keeps getting pushed further back. Add unemployment or a sick family member to the mix, and that could make even more people vulnerable to seasonal depression. You may have folks operating at a little bit more of a deficit, you know, heading into this time of year because of social distancing and, and really doing the right things from a public health standpoint, but they may already be in more of an isolation uh, kind of mode. Experts say staying active can help, maintaining a healthy diet, treating with therapy and medication, and finding a good source of light, getting outside or investing in a special lamp. Gabrielle takes vitamin D, meditates, and practices yoga. It makes a huge difference in my day. It's sometimes really hard to force myself to do it, but I always feel better. She also uses an alarm clock that mimics the rising sun. Naomi Ruckham, CBS News, New York. Two of Vancouver's biggest stars have teamed up to make the holiday season a little brighter for some of BC's sickest children. You better watch out you better not cry, you better not pout, I am telling you why. Sing it. Santa Claus is... Sing it, everyone. Michael Bublé and Canucks superstar Elias Peterson serenaded the kids, their families, and staff at Canuck Place Children's Hospice. Normally, both stars often visit the kids at Canuck Place, but because of the pandemic, they created the sing-along video instead. Great singing, man. Great singing. Michael, just a little better than Petey there, I would, I would think. But who's better at hockey? Right. Although Michael's probably not that bad. Still ahead, a love of Christmas matched by very few. It just gets me right here in the heart, right? The BC man who takes Christmas decorating to a whole new level. And in sports, what the Canucks will be asked to do if they want to help save the NHL season. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, with a lot of people expected to head to the North Shore Mountains over the holidays, new measures are being put into place to limit crowds on Seymour and Cyprus. New digital road signs and updated online information will tell people when those ski hills and their parking lots have reached capacity. At that point, further traffic will not be allowed to head up the hill. Due to the pandemic, both Cyprus and Seymour have put in place online reservation systems to limit their visitor numbers and allow for social distancing. We're hoping that uh, people will pay attention to the website, to the Twitter notices, uh, to radio bulletins, and ensure that you pay attention to the, uh, the digital signage that will be at the, uh, at the bottom of the roads, letting you know whether it's worth going up the hill and whether there's parking. The minister is also making a plea to skiers, snowboarders and snowshoers to stay within the marked trails and boundaries as COVID-19 further complicates any rescues that would need to be carried out. There will be a lot of fresh snow up there, I'm sure, after mm. today. Let's check in again with Yvonne Schell and a look at the 
forecast as we get into winter now on the first day. Officially Mother Nature on cue with the first day of winter and it was a winter wonderland. A couple of videos and a fo photos to share. This one a shot of Salt Spring Island captured by Dorian. Now along the island we had upwards of 10 centimeters for most areas. Metro Vancouver locally higher elevations up to 5 centimeters but it was really the interior that packed a punch with a significant amount exceeding 30 potentially 40 and a few spots along the mountain passes could get up to 50 centimeters but some gorgeous shots out there. This one captured in merit. So thank you so much, Al. Now this evening, we have the precipitation tapering off, but the big weather story will be the winds. These are some of the sustaining gusts that we've seen so far. And along the island, areas near Nanaimo and stretching towards Duncan could still see gusts of up to 70 or 90 kilometers per hour. Richmond, Tawasson, as well as Delta will all be included within that. So we'll continue to follow those winds all evening this evening. And off overnight. It'll be a much calmer day, but most areas across Metro Vancouver, the winds northwesterly tonight, ranging between 30 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. A snapshot of what it looks like along the Coquihalla, so check in with drivebc.ca. Not recommended this evening because we still have an additional 10 and up to 25 centimeters. That's the range along the mountain passes and where we're seeing the winter storm watch and the uh, snowfall warnings that are in effect. Kootenai Pass, all areas along the Coquihalla and the connector included within that. We'll start to see the snow easing off overnight. It'll still be light flurries for the morning hours and then a nice clearing towards the afternoon if you're traveling along any of the mountain passes. So we can see that nice break. The southeastern corners, it'll be for the early morning hours and the northern half of the province for tomorrow. It's plenty of sunshine. Along the water, we'll see highs closer to 3 degrees. Central interior, bright and sunny. Much of the southern interior, it's really that southeastern corners with a few flurries in the mix for the early morning hours. Winds will ease off. That's great news. And then looking ahead, a sneak peek for a Christmas day. It's still a few days out. We've got sunshine leading up towards it, and then it looks like we've got cloud cover so far, maybe the chance for some showers. Tonight, central windows, weather window, a beautiful shot that was taken today on top of Burnaby Mountain by Grant. Guys? Always picturesque. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Bright Nights in Stanley Park is now saying all aboard. It's just virtually this year. The Vancouver Park Board has posted these videos of the virtual train experience on its website and social media channels after it was shut down because of the current COVID-19 restrictions. The virtual ride takes you through this year's Stanley Park Railway route, showing off the lights and displays to see along the way. The annual event is a fundraiser for the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund. And event organizers this year are asking you to donate directly to the Burn Fund. Good idea. All right, on the first day of winter, it makes sense we're talking hockey. I know you'll get to that later, but hey, why not talk tennis too? I read somewhere on the internet it was a great line. This is the shortest day of the longest year ever. That's <laughs> true. Vosik uh, Pospisil's 2020 actually was pretty good for him. He earns a big award from his fellow players because of it. Holding the Comeback Player of the Year award. Moving from 150th to 61st in the world rankings this year was a reason he got something for his trophy case. Exciting for him and exciting for us. Christmas blows up for a man who just can't get enough of it. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> well, you better. And, and no one really knows what's happening in the hockey world. Well, sort of. I guess well, we sort of know. It's getting kind close. Kind of, sort I of. Know. Still waiting for uh, approvals. That's what we're waiting for. Uh, the NHL's upcoming season, of course, will feature the seven Canadian teams only playing the other Canadian teams all the way 
until they have decided the final four in the playoffs. Now, the NHL would like those teams to travel to other Canadian cities, play home games and road games, and not use the bubble format we saw in the summer. They have put together a plan with the NHL Players Association. It is very strict, I am told. The rules for players are you don't leave your hotel, you don't go to restaurants, you don't go shopping. Basically, it's airport, hotel, rink only. No province has officially given the NHL the green light. I get the sense that all the health officers in the NHL provinces would like to come to a collective agreement if they can. My counterparts, we talk regularly. We had a meeting last week. We're talking again later today. So all of us need to be on the same page about how we're going to manage this. We've given options back to the NHL and we'll be looking at things again. The NHL presented its plan. It's its plan. It's not an agreement. It's its plan uh, over the weekend right, to everybody. And that uh, obviously, like we do everything, we're going to look at that plan uh, seriously and, uh, and respond to it in the, in the coming day or so. Okay, my guess is if any provinces don't okay games in their province, those teams would probably go and do a bubble situation, likely in Edmonton, for a while at least. The NHL doesn't want these teams to be in a bubble the entire season. Stay there until things clear up. Meaning, no matter what, there will be a Canadian or a North Division, if you like, and most fans in Canada are pretty happy about that. Even the executives, like the Edmonton Oilers' Ken Holland, is jacked up about the All-Canadian Division. I think it's going to be exciting to be in an All-Canadian Division. Um, you know, we play Calgary 10 times. We play uh, Vancouver 10 times. I think we play all the other teams nine times. And then, and then you know, four of those teams get to, to go to the playoffs and play another team at best of seven. So... You could play somebody uh, up to 17 times this year. So I think it's going to be great for, for fans and it's going to be fun for the players. For the majority of Canada's players on the national junior team, they haven't played a game since last March when all the leagues shut down. They've had practices, they've had scrimmages, they might have played some road hockey in the summer, but they haven't played a real game on ice. They'll finally get to play one Wednesday, exhibition though, against Russia, and everybody on the Canadian team can't wait. A lot of these kids haven't played a competitive hockey game since March. So I can tell you right now, our guys are chomping at the bit to get on the ice and, and, and be competitive against, a, uh, you know, an opponent that's other than the, their teammates. Um, so, you know, once we get on the ice, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think there'll be some execution things that, that will have to be tightened up with just that game reps and, and, and the game action uh, versus practice. Um, but our guys have done a really good job with practice over the last few weeks uh, and, and making sure we're prepared, learning new systems and whatnot um, to try to apply once we hit the ice in our games. Well, yesterday, Reese Howden of uh, Coltis Lake won silver at a ski cross event. Today, in France, they had another race, and this time he was one better. He won gold. And with that, going into the Christmas break, he is number one in the men's standings. Uh, Mariel Thompson of Whistler finished third in her race today. So Canadians stood on the podium in both ski cost races, but this is Reese coming through number one for Canada. Well, we've talked a lot about how BC's Vashik Pospisil had a renaissance season on the tennis court this year after suffering with back issues that required surgery in 2019. Now, in 2020, he was able to reach two ATP finals and a fourth round at the U.S. Open. And that moved him from 150th in the world rankings to 61st overall. And it seems it wasn't just us around here 
talking about Pospisil's season, all his fellow professional players were watching as well. So today Pospisil was named the ATP's Comeback Player of the Year for what he has done this season. Hey everyone, um, holding the Comeback Player of the Year award 2020 uh, really means a lot to me. So I just want to give a, a big, you know, a big thank you to all of my fellow ATP players on on the tour that voted for me to win this award, and uh, also a big thanks to my team that that you know really did a great job and and uh, my sponsors that stuck stuck with me through thick and thin. Uh, you know, my ranking plummeted and uh, had surgery. So, um, you know, very grateful to be here and uh, hoping to have a, a great year next year. So thanks again, guys. Well, they did allow some fans in Cincinnati. This guy had nowhere else to go with that suit. Uh, Derek Watt, that hit basically KO'd him. He was able to get up with the help of Chase Claypool, who took him to the blue tent so they could take a closer look at him. Uh, the Steelers suddenly don't look as good as they did earlier in the year. I know the Jets beat the Rams yesterday, and right now Cincinnati with two touchdowns from Giovanni Bernard are leading Pittsburgh 17-0. Kevin Green, the great uh, NFL player who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers for years, Hall of Famer, died today at the age of 58. So that was rather shocking. Mm-hmm. Surprise for sure. Way too young. Okay, thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Andrew now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. We'll have more on this latest blast of winter. Thousands of BC Hydro customers have lost power in the last hour. We'll also have more details on what you can expect during your morning commute. And a vandal at large. 37 bus shelters have been damaged in recent weeks in the city of Kelowna. It's costing more than $50,000 to repair. What investigators are saying about the crimes and the suspect they are still looking for. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. Sounds good. Thanks, Anne. All right, when we come back, a guy who went shopping for Christmas decorations and never stopped. (laughs) This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. A B.C. Seniors Care Home is thinking outside the box to allow residents to visit family and friends this Christmas. Maple Ridge Seniors Village has built a special heated shed with two rooms where residents can see their loved ones through a window and talk to them over the phone. The visiting booth allows them to connect and even comes with lights and a Christmas tree. What's Dixie up to? Dixie is um, that's our cat. She she's um well she doesn't like the cold weather too much. Yeah, it's a nice little set. It's got little windows at the top too. We've decorated it for the holidays. We've added a, fe- a heater, and um, everyone seems to be really enjoying it. It's good to be able to see her face to face. It's nice to be able to at least visit this way better than nothing. It was really great. I wish we thought of it sooner. But we thank the family member, the friend that gave us the idea. And yeah, like I said, within a week, we had it built and up and running. 
Oh, thank you. It was exactly what she'd asked for. <laughs> the residents of Maple Ridge Seniors Village are hoping more care facilities will also consider offering these shed visits. What a great idea. Very cool. All right, for many, Christmas lights are synonymous with the festive season, but one Okanagan man has gone above and beyond in creating some holiday magic. His yard is chock full of decorations, turning heads and lighting up faces. Coming to life in a big, big way. I think he's about 14 feet high. The larger-than-life Santa Bear inflatable, just one of dozens. We're running, I think, about 45 inflatables now. All packed into this Vernon Homes yard, where Christmas magic has come alive and thousands of lights are twinkling. I think about 14,000. You could say Al Wilkinson loves Christmas, but what he loves perhaps even more is seeing people awestruck by it all. Sometimes I just sneak and look through the window of the house, eh, and just watch them, eh, and get the look of the, on their faces. And I love, you know, making people happy. Like a lot of nights, we have two to three hundred cars that come by or stop, and it's, it's, I, I, it just gets me right here in the heart, right? It's good. The labor of love started some seven years ago when Wilkinson was trying to retire from his day job. It was November and he needed to fill some spare time. I went and I bought $1,000 worth of Christmas lights. Put them up. I lasted about three months. I ended up going back to work. But anyway, the next year, I went, well, it's not enough what I have. So over the years, I bought thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff. And it's ended up being like this. But this, as you can imagine, takes a lot of time to set up. Wilkinson starts putting the lights up each year on November 1st. And of course, there's a cost attached to it all. Maybe $180 extra on the hydro bill. The inflatables, it's not the lights. The lights are cheap, right? But it's guys like this and... The 14-foot sand and not the big fans because they're always running. But for Wilkinson, it's a small cost compared to the big joy it brings during the holiday season. Joy he plans on spreading for as long as he can. As long as I keep waking up alive. Claudia Van Ammer, Global News, Vernon. I have questions. So many that, questions. Lots of questions, yes. You need and, a lot of storage. If yeah, where do you store it? And then uh, how long does it take to dismantle it all and put it away? I think we get Claudia to do a follow-up, and yeah. we can do a time-lapse of him taking everything down. That would it be is amazing. a filing system to, like, <laughs> anyway. It's not for a disorganized person like me. He, no, he needs inventory. He needs to know what <laughs> exactly. he has. Exactly. exactly. All right, uh, we'll end it on that note. Thank you very much for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all. Mm-hmm.